Hello and welcome to Season 2 of The Push Podcast. This is the podcast where we explore the real stories behind what makes entrepreneurs and business owners the successes they are today. I am Jack Ferguson, a small business growth strategist, and I will be your host. I believe the best way to learn and be inspired is to listen to the experiences and stories of those you respect. Their real experiences, their real story, warts and all. Honest storytelling is what this is all about. Show notes can be found at bethepush.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you are listening to this. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast, the first episode for 2022. Today I'm talking to Cameo Ash, founder of Lemonade Beach. A business with a funky name, Lemonade Beach is actually an accounting firm. We discussed the reasons why Cameo chose that name during the episode. Cameo has worked extensively with small to medium business owners throughout South East Queensland. Cameo not only manages her clients' accounting, tax and compliance needs, but also offers strategic business advice, helping them to thrive and grow. What sets Cameo apart is her commitment to educating and empowering clients. Utilising visual tools, she assists them to feel as comfortable discussing the financial aspects of their business as their core product or service. And we cover a range of topics throughout this episode, including how music is similar to sports in terms of how you learn teamwork, how doing business with family can prove to be problematic, why she doesn't like to work from home and the advantage she sees in having an office. First hires and how Cameo has gone about building her team, including challenges she had with outsourcing prior to bringing on internal team members. How she works with people she likes and doesn't tend to bother when she doesn't see a fit. How she's become cynical of people who try to look wealthy and accomplished on social media. As an accountant, Cameo sees the real story behind someone's finances and this part of the discussion was quite eye-opening. Why some accounting firms carry client debt but advise their clients not to do that and the problems you will run into if you don't do a cash flow forecast, amongst plenty of other great discussions. A great episode to kick off the year. Let's bring in Cameo. All right. Today, we're here with Cameo Ash. Cameo, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. It's so good to have you in. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. You've got uh, such an interesting name. Your business has an interesting name and you're an accountant that once or recently played music yes quite a while ago but for a a pretty good stage of my developmental life and people might be wondering why i'm starting a uh, business podcast there with the music but uh, you had a really interesting point around what that's like um, in comparison to sports when you're working with a team so some people will say that you know sports a great way to learn to when you're younger to become part of a team but you've got a point about playing in an orchestra that is also along those lines yeah so um i'm not a real sporty person so when i was growing up my family was all about you have to play a musical instrument it was like just part of an expectation in our family and i chose violin and so when you're playing in an orchestra you're not only playing your part but you're listening to other people and you're playing as part of a section and then you've got somebody out the front who's the conductor who's leading you all along and bringing you all in but I think it's a good um, it's a good grounding of learning how to listen play with each other and and kind of wait your turn as well sometimes Mm -hmm. I think you know and I suppose that happens on the sporting field as well you know particularly in junior sports where people don't want to pass the ball well 
in an orchestra, it's at least written down that you need to pass <laughs> that melody on somewhere. Yeah, so pre pre planned. Yeah, yeah. And when did it occur to you that that was such a a way to learn teamwork? Probably not that long ago. So okay. probably about yeah five or six years ago. Yeah, because you do get a lot of business people talking about, you know, their sporting backgrounds or their learning of teamwork from a sports field. And I think it's just interesting to know that there's other ways you can learn those same skills. Mm. So you heard people talk about that and then you thought to yourself, hang on a sec, I learned that as well through my musical career? Yeah, I think that's where the realisation came from. Okay. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I played in a band myself when I was young and you talk about that occurred to you five or six years ago. Well, this only occurred to me when I read it written down in your notes before the before recording this episode. So I thought about that too and I just thought, yeah, that's completely right that you do need to learn to be part of a team and someone there kind of needs to be a leader. Like I was playing in rock bands and someone needs to organize practice and get everyone on the same yeah. page and and thinking about it I, I think I always liked music because it wasn't competitive it felt like everyone was on the same team whereas in sports you are on a team but you're playing against the team yeah I think when you're playing together in music it's not competitive but I still always though particularly in orchestra orchestral music there's still those competitive personalities sometimes mm. those individual competitive personalities that want to be a soloist or or they want to push something else but they also know that when they're playing in that group that they have to blend they're part of the group and for it to sound good you actually don't want someone coming out louder than everybody else it has to be a nice blend of sound Mm. love it love that love that metaphor but uh so interesting. Let's let's talk a bit about uh, your business story. So you started a few years ago now, Lemonade Beach. Yeah. So Lemonade Beach came about in 2017. I was trading a few years before that with my sister as a business partner. We were Evolve Business Advisory at that time, and then we realised that there was a lot of Evolve accountants around all of Australia. So it was time to to rebrand. How did everyone come to Evolve, all these different businesses? How did they come to the same name? I do not know. <laughs> okay. I do not know. But, um, you know, we're in on the Gold Coast and if you typed if you typed in Evolve Accountants or people were getting search returns for a business in Western Australia. So it was a little bit different and we're like, mm, we definitely need to rebrand. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so Lemonade Beach came around because we, we wanted a brand that wasn't in the box of accounting that gave us some some growth opportunities in the future if we wanted to delve into different um, service offerings. And then the actual name itself came about. The Lemonade is, is part of this um, entrepreneurship effectuation principle. One of the principles of that is this Lemonade principle, which is make lemonade. If you've got a, got a challenging situation, make it into an opportunity. And we wanted that mindset to permeate through the business with what we do with clients. Mm-hmm. And then it's the lemonade stand for, you know, the very beginnings of business. A lot of people conjure up a lemonade stand in their mind. So that's mm-hmm. that's where the lemonade came from. And then the beach is because we're on the Gold Coast. And then most people want to end up at the beach at the end of their business journey as well. Yeah. No, love it. Love it. It's, a, it's a, got some funky branding as well for an accounting firm. Yeah. it's um, We actually had a client do our branding for us. 
and she sent us a few different concepts and the one we went with was her quirky one and she was quite happy that we went with the quirky one. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's nice to be a little bit different and stand Mm. out rather than blend in with all the other accountants around the place. And have you noticed the effect that it has had on your business throughout over the last few years? That well, name? I think that it's a good introductory name because if you're in a um, social setting mm. and people say, oh, where do you work? And you say, I work at XYZ Accountants. They kind of, you know, turn off pretty much straight away True. unless they're in need of an accountant right then and there <laughs> or have some pending tax or accounting questions they want to chat to you about. Yeah. It's kind of a conversation stopper. Whereas if you say, I work at Lemonade Beach, they're like, what's that? What mm. do you do? So it's a nice um, introduction to, you know, having a further conversation with people that you might just be meeting. And I think the the fun in the brand is great too because we're, we're a pretty relaxed firm and that comes through in the branding. And also it just means the clients can connect with us in more of a relaxed way than a formal way. Right. And do you find it attracts a certain type of client? Um, I think so. I think we're attracting a lot of a lot of online businesses, bloggers particularly. It seems to be an area that not a lot of accountants are really comfortable or confident in that digital business space. That's quite the niche. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, bloggers, creative types, because it's a creative brand, it, it more resonates with the creatives. Um, but we still get a lot of the your traditional businesses, your you know builders and contractors and. Yeah, but a lot of creatives, I suppose, and they're Mm. always nice to work with as well. Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense, I think, looking from the outside in, Mm. that uh, you'd be getting a lot of those people involved. But yeah, very cool. But what made you start the business? What made me start the business? It was really just a culmination of events, I think, at the end of the day, and it came down to a why not Mm. scenario. So I had moved back to the Gold Coast and taken a contract role. I just wanted, you know, six months to, I was doing my my MBA at the time. I wanted six months to just finish off my MBA, have a contract role. I didn't know where I was going after that when I took it. And that was why I didn't want to be um, penned in anywhere. And in the space of that six months, uh, I had previous clients reach out to me. And so it was a bit of a, you know, why not? I've Mm. got a bit of money in the bank, already had my licensing set up from, uh, just in case that was done years earlier so it was just kind of yeah have a go and see see where we end up yeah and it's always nice to have a a couple of clients to start off with right yeah that was good (laughs) like it wasn't a huge amount of clients there was two it is something though but yeah Yeah. i knew i i knew i could get through you know um build on that um and had some savings put aside as well so awesome yeah i remember um uh a friend from uni about 12 months in saying well how's it going and I'm like well I've paid the mortgage for 12 months and I'm pretty happy so we'll just keep going right and so looking back now from starting to the present day was it what you expected what's happened the journey I don't think anything's ever exactly as you expect I think I went in with my eyes open I think I went in knowing what would be difficult and knowing that I I had worked as like a a team leader or a manager in an accounting firm before and I had started doing the business development side but that in itself I had moved back to the coast didn't have a really good network 
So building networks again and knowing where to spend your time, I think, when mm. you're in that business development stage is really tricky. There's always lots of events. So we're going back before COVID where we had face-to-face events. <laughs> um, always lots of events, always lots of things you can spend your time on, but it's making sure you're getting some kind of outcome from that time investment as well. Yeah. And so did you find you went along to a few events that perhaps weren't worth your time? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's just part of what you have to do when you're starting a business or when you're trying to build a network is you have to give things a go and and even not just one one trial of, of one event. You, you really need to go a couple of times and talk to a few different people. Mm. But yeah, you can usually get a feel whether it's a a lot of people in their multi-level schemes there or you know like yeah you can you can get but usually it's more about just building a network and I think not necessarily about making a sale mm. or getting a lead from that particular go, going to that particular event I mm. think it's more you have to have a long-term view about things yeah yeah and uh, those multi-level guys are pretty short-term in their view Yes, yes. But Have yeah. you come across a few? Uh, yeah. I mean, look, sometimes it's you, people say, oh, do you want to have a meeting about this? And you're like, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll, I've got time, I'll have a coffee. And then it becomes a bit of a, you know, sales. Yeah. Yeah. A bit of a heavy handed thing. So it doesn't, I don't think it, um, they have their techniques about what they do. I don't think they really serve them mm. very well, but uh, that's a whole other Oh, you're, yeah. you're welcome to um, talk about how bad multi-level marketing is on this podcast for as long as you want. <laughs> Don't worry about that. But uh, so I do know that something significant happened at the towards the start of the business though, right? When before you rebranded. Yeah. So when I started the business, my sister, who's also an accountant, started the business with me. So she was at a stage in her career where she was a bit frustrated with where she was at and wanted to start something else so we were both on the same page as to like well what are we going to what are you wanting to do what am I wanting to do and it made sense at the time to do it together so that's what we did and about 18 months in just as we were doing the rebrand it just became apparent we were on different wavelengths with where we thought things were going or what how we thought the business should run and it was not an enjoyable time so she ended up exiting the business towards the end of 2017 so we had about six months of quite you know not not nice environment so at the time we were working from her house so yes so I um pretty quickly went and got a co-work space office up the road just to have a bit of separation but we basically we just couldn't communicate and it fell through and it permeated through through the family being sisters Mm. it's tricky to separate that from everything else in your life but thankfully now we're much better we're back to pretty much back to normal okay good Um, to hear it's good to hear yes it's very good but it it did actually take me quite a while to get over the fact that that happened Mm. and probably some feelings of being guilty as in like I stayed and I kept the business right? Um, and it probably took me about two years to actually work through those feelings and get to a point where I was like okay I'm ready to take the next steps now and I'm not feeling that guilt so much and Mm. I just have to do what I have what I need to do and maybe not worry so much about what her reaction may be Mm. to that Mm. and um, and I think a lot of the time 
going through that a lot of the stuff's in our own minds and in our own heads like we're we're making assumptions of how we think somebody else is feeling or may feel or may react to an event when and that's holding us back um and in the reality was you know particularly um, more recently she's very much a supportive and a cheerleader of me so it's like yeah you'd have to get through those times and and um yeah just tell ourselves the right messages and the Mm. right stories i think Mm, love it and and not assume what what other people are thinking i yeah. love that yeah i'm I'm super guilty of that and have yeah. been for a long time oh, i think i'm getting a bit better but. i think it happens all the time you know you'll get an email from somebody and you're like oh you know like and you, you make this huge big issue out of it and then you give them a phone call and it's um a non non-event it's mm. yeah so i think the the quicker you communicate the better in those circumstances mm. Yeah, interesting. So what would you do differently if you had your time again, knowing what you know now with yeah. that specific instance? I think a partnership agreement would have been a good idea. Okay. And it's one of those things as accountants we tell our clients to do all the time. <laughs> when, you know, you know, it's like the plumber with the leaky tap. Um, yeah. We don't always do it ourselves. So that, And I think when you're starting a business and there's more than one person in like starting it, Um, it can be quite easy you can start thinking you're on the same page but that can change and so we probably we should have communicated more often that we were on the same page and that Mm. what we were where we were going to go was the same for both of us and what our expectations of you know what you're doing in the business was the same for both of us and I think yeah when you're starting out you're doing all the other things Mm. and those things you're just making assumptions again about those things and again it's just having those conversations yeah like when you say the getting that agreement in place too i'm a believer that sometimes the process you go through to get that agreement in place is more valuable than the actual agreement itself yeah i think so yeah it's because it it forces you to have those conversations Mm. and you want to have those before you go to the solicitor and get it drawn up (laughs) because that's going to save you money in the long run so yeah yeah cool yeah, right. And so, but it wasn't all, hasn't been all bad the whole time. You've uh, moved into premises after that. That was significant for you, I understand. Yeah. So we had always worked either from a home office or from a co-work space. And the co-work space I was working from, the the bloke that was running that was had gone back to employment and we knew that he wasn't going to renew the lease and it was coming up. So I decided to look for my own premises and I have a bit of a tick box of like where premises have to be I have to be somewhere near nature because I like to get out and go for a walk so I found these premises like one street back from the beach at Coolangatta and just good layout good fit out and so move there and I think it just legitimizes Mm. your business it's still you know these days particularly in professional services we can do everything online because we're very cloud-based but having an office front just gives that little bit more legitimacy to your Mm. business and I think it then like spurs you to work a little bit harder and and set a few more goals because you also know that you can bring people on board and you're going to have desks for them to sit Mm. at and and that sets you up for growth yeah it's like you're almost you're almost committing to the growth a little bit by by doing it yeah that's right it's interesting at the time at this time when so many people uh, have tried the work from home thing now and I'm just, I'm personally hearing a lot of people going back to the office. Yeah, now. I've never been a work from home person because I like to separate my work and my mm. home life. And so, 
having somewhere to I've always had to have somewhere to go and I've always treated it even though you're your own boss treating it as like well I still have to be in the office between this time and this time Mm. I still have to be working and I think that that's something that you know there's a lot of freedom when you're your own boss or you're starting your own business and I think sometimes people can take it too far (laughs) and you know they're off seeing their friend or they're off having lunch or whatever and Mm. it's I suppose I don't want to be working at 10 o'clock at night so I like to be working in the normal business hours and you know maybe a few extra hours but not uh, huge amounts of uh, work coming into my personal life and the the lines can blur so easily yeah having that stuff at home did you have to work from home during COVID at all um no because I had the office oh right and I was the only body there for the first year so I'm like well (laughs) it's just as easy for me to work at the office than work at home a bit better internet nicer workspace so I just went into the office okay one of the very few people that didn't have to go back to Working from home. Yeah. Who could have? Yeah, yeah, we didn't really have a lot of lockdowns on the Gold Coast oh, okay, at that yeah, time. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. And being the only person in the office is like, well, I might as well be here than mm. be anywhere else and then I can It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Jump across the road to the beach and, you know, jump back again. So it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So you brought on staff this year, was it? No, sorry, two thousand twenty one. You started bringing them. Yeah, yep. two thousand and twenty one. Yep. So how was that? It was good. I actually I had been thinking about it for a long time and the first hire I had was a marketing coordinator so it's probably a little bit unusual for mm. a professional service firm to bring somebody on to do marketing as a first hire but I use a lot of technology so admin side of things is pretty much automated or or it's very low touch so it didn't make sense to put bring somebody on just with administration skills so I hired a marketing coordinator in February and I used a HR pers- um, consultant to help me with that. So okay. I actually got all of the policies and procedures in place and contracts in place and they helped me with the ad writing and, you know, first round interviews and they did all the feedback of the people that weren't successful, which is a really nice thing to not have to do yourself. Mm. And so we were able to move really quickly and um, I picked up a lady who was returning to work from having her family. So really good, qualified, experienced people. You just need to be a bit flexible and Mm. um, I'm happy to be flexible. So Mm. that was great. That's very thorough of you to get a HR consultant in at that point. Yeah, well, maybe I was um, thinking about what had happened previously yeah. with not getting agreements and things in place. Mm-hmm. And um, it just means now I can move, like when I do want to hire, I've got all those policies and procedures and I've got, uh, I know what the process is and I've got template contracts so I can move quite quickly if mm-hmm. talent's available right? rather than, you know, taking a long time. And right now in this environment, in our industry, talent is really short. So you have to be able to move quickly. Okay. Yeah, cool. And because I, I ask as well, because I know in your story that a job you had in the past, you saw what happens when you don't have a HR person in place and there's an admin person trying yeah. to do that job. I, I just think, well, we all do it, like particularly when you're a small business and you're trying to wear all the hats and do all the things and save money where we we kind of cut down other people's professions in a way. You know, a HR person goes to university for quite a significant amount of time just like an accountant Mm. does and I want people to value what I do and and the knowledge that I bring 
And I think it's um, it's pretty common for some across the board in offices, particularly for somebody who's in an admin role to just being be given a oh hang on you're going to do all the HR stuff now mm. and they might not have the training in how to talk to people or what actually needs to happen and they're googling and they're doing you know the basics but it's not a it's not a full replacement of having somebody you can call on and chat to yeah 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 and the same thing happens with with marketing yeah marketing yes. and, and that's why I put somebody on marketing because I was I had outsourced it a few times and I had found that you were getting stuff done like right on when the retainer was due but nothing for the rest of the month and I still had to drive the process and I didn't want to do that that was the whole reason for outsourcing it was that I didn't want to have to think about all the process but I found I had to still be driving that so having somebody internally just took that all off my desk because I was doing it then a really ad hoc not a great way and when COVID came along in accounting we were supporting clients so the marketing just kind of fell to the mm. wayside so having somebody that comes in and works on your SEO and works on your socials and works on engaging with clients and the messaging we're going to do and has planned out all of the first half of 2022 before December 2021 is just that's what you want that's bliss yeah yeah cool so so you've taken on a another staff member as well this year yeah I've taken on a junior accountant so again it it was a bit of an opportunity that just presented itself so she just basically knocked on my door she's very young she's 17 finished just finished school and wanting to get some experience and at the time I said oh I don't think I've got anything for you but um, over that following weekend I was thinking actually there's like this range of tasks that I could train you to do without a lot of effort like you know as long as you've got good comprehension skills you can train to do these so yeah she's been on board for the last couple of months right coming along nicely awesome awesome so yeah so you've gone from one to one to three three in one year yeah Yeah. and you had the office to had the office had i've still got one spare desk so um who's next (laughs) i'm not sure who's next so (laughs) it's just not it's nice to have a spare desk but um yeah, when I uh, fitted out the office, I kind of went, okay, what's the kind of two-year plan mm. and um, just get the fit out right so you're not having to order desks on the fly and right. and stuff like that. But one little serendipitous thing was before my second hire started, literally a week before, I won a new laptop. So she ended up with a brand new fancy nice. laptop. So that was quite nice. <laughs> How'd you win that? I was procrastinating on a Friday afternoon and um, I buy Lenovo laptops and so I entered one of their competitions and next thing they're like, oh, you won. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Okay. So she's got this um, right. fancy laptop. Right. I thought no one ever won those competitions. I didn't think people <laughs> won them either. <laughs> yeah. No, very, very cool. I also find what's interesting about your story is that you don't work with anyone that you don't like. that's pretty rare for a small business as well well I just think I started the business with two clients and the beauty of that is that you can choose who you work for Mm. and I think everybody in their work life has had to work with work clients that they haven't necessarily gelled with or they haven't necessarily liked the way they communicate with them 
And I thought, well, I don't want to work with those sorts of people and I don't want my staff to have to work with those sorts of people either. So it's just being selective about, you know, who you work with and mm. and that means you, you have slower growth, but it's a much more um, enjoyable experience. It's sustainable growth though, right? Because yeah. if you if they like you, they're more likely to refer you and you're more likely to... That's keep right. With and them. most of the people they refer are people similar to them. Mm. So they're you're getting good referrals of people that you're going to gel with and you're going to work well with as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I uh, have to touch on um, <laughs> that you had someone call up and ask how to spell their name. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. speaking yeah. of clients, but I was I've got this in my notes and I've been trying to move it in for a few oh, minutes. And I'm like I'm going to just bust it out. It was it just now. a funny story. Um yeah. I've been working with this like for quite a few years. And his name's Gary and he usually spells it with two Rs. And um he was getting some documentation together and he's like, "Do you know how I spell my name?" I'm like, "I'm pretty sure it's two Rs. I hope it is. That's what the tax office has." It was two hours at the okay. end, but yeah, it was a bit interesting to have someone mm. say, "How do we? How do I spell my name?" So he didn't know how to spell his name. Or? He wasn't sure. He was trying to get some um, legal documents, <laughs> okay. and I think he was trying to get a copy of his birth certificate. And he's like, "I'm like, you've always spelt it with two hours." He's like, "Yeah, oh, I asked my mum. She reckons it's two hours, but she's not sure." So uh-huh. it was just one of those. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Random. So you, you went with two hours though. Yeah, it was, and it was two hours. I'm like, well, that's what all of the legal um, connections that I have, like you yeah. know, ASIC and the ATO, everything I've got has your name spelt with two hours. Mm, okay. So I'm like, I hope it's right because otherwise we're going to have to go and update all of that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And what about what you've seen over your career with regards to clients? I'm really interested in. You talk about that some people will do the flashy. Uh, car and do all this type of thing but behind the scenes they owe money to the ATO and uh, staff and whatnot Uh, I've got a few questions on this but what's your what's your thoughts on that in public practice accounting we see a fair bit of a client's situation and I just think it makes us a bit of a cynic sometimes like Mm. I know I can be quite cynical about things but I think part of it is because you see people putting out a particular lifestyle or persona but because you know what their underlying financial situation is you you know you kind of just yeah you you kind of take everything with a grain of salt I think the the lifestyle that people put out there Um, some people have really flashy lifestyles and have the money in the bank Mm -hmm. Um, some people have really mediocre like media really like ordinary lifestyles but are actually got a hell of a lot of money in the bank and are very financially secure mm-hmm. and so i think it's just there's all sorts there and and what are those people like to you the flashy people because you're the the one person they can't uh trick well it's not that they try to trick us i think mm. i suppose it's just like if you're having to I suppose it's that finding that sympathy sometimes and that empathy for them in that sometimes it isn't there because you do know the underlying circumstance and you might know that they owe X amount to the tax office but they've just bought a new BMW Mm. that they really didn't need to buy or they haven't paid their staff super and they've just gone on a $20,000 holiday and they're trying to get sympathy from you and it's kind of... 
you're kind of more like just the truth teller of mm. hang on like you knew you had this obligation and then you went mm. and did that so now we need to deal with with this yeah yeah how does that go down well i don't have clients like that anymore no not so, anymore but when, yeah. it did, when you did happen well it doesn't go down very well i don't think <laughs> <laughs> because because those people they um most of them have this inherent belief that they deserve that Mm. They deserve, they work hard, they deserve that new car. They work hard, they deserve that that um, luxury holiday. And they don't necessarily connect that their staff might work hard or that they have an obligation to pay tax or that they have an obligation to pay their suppliers that are also working hard. So, yeah, it's, it's that um, inability to connect the dots sometimes. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's an interesting thing to think that they because they work hard what is no one else working hard or um i'm bringing it up because i've seen it a lot in my past where people buy the pool but they won't pay their staff and and that's with the staff i'm of the the opinion that's when it's really terrible with the ato it's not great don't do it for anyone listening but uh, the (laughs) staff i have a real manageable with like the tax office i think and you know they're going to come after you if you're a serial non-payer they they have their their means but yeah i think looking after your staff is like number one because at the end of the day if you don't have staff you usually don't have a business they're an integral part of any business so you don't want to not look after them hmm. no I, I just i'm just so fascinated by by your ability as an accountant to to see it for what it is because there's a lot of people even i'll do sometimes you see someone flashing around Instagram and you think, eh, I just don't buy that you really got a, a stable business. And then you might look up on the ABN lookup and it's, it's a sole trader trying to claim they're doing millions in revenue. And I'm like, not sure if that would be the case. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing is like a lot of time, particularly people that are selling things to aspirational business owners is that they use metrics that don't always mean anything. Mm. So people will say, I've got a seven-figure business. And it's like, that's awesome. But what's your profit? Mm. Because, well, a really good example is you take the the local service station and they will sell millions of dollars of fuel, but their margin on fuel is tiny. So they have a multi-seven-figure business, but they might make you know, $150,000 after they pay their staff and their rent and profit. So so a service station makes their money out of generally tradies buying coffee milks. That's probably their main profit centre. Yeah, right. No, I love it. I hope, um, I hope we are going back to profit as a focus over the next few years in business because uh, profit was a dirty word for a while, especially from the startup scene. Uh, it's all revenue, revenue, revenue. Who cares if you're, you're bleeding cash left right and center yeah i don't know if it's um if it's people not wanting to show that end transparency of the profit whereas people are quite comfortable saying what their sales figure is but they're not always that comfortable telling people what they're actually taking home or what's the, the what's left over in profit so i think part of it's that transparency and the Hmm. the vulnerability that people don't want to necessarily put that out there yeah yeah, have you spent much time in the startup scene? Um, not the not like the capital raise startup yeah, scene. Yeah, that type of stuff. Yeah, tech and yeah, it's quite it's, um, it's, yeah. it's quite its own beast. That's it, all. It is, and there's 
yeah the own kind of belief system within mm. there too i think i'd agree with that yep <laughs> but uh as an accountant too i want to hear about your business development journey so how did you when did you start doing business development before your business in your past career and how how did that come to be because that's not something that a lot of accountants will do yeah so I moved back to Bundaberg in 2012 to my old workplace that I had been there about 12 months uh, previously and they were doing a big rebrand and adding new services and my boss there asked me to come back and lead the accounting team. So I did that but she was a or is a really she was a new style accountant from you know the early 2010s like 2008 2009 there was a guy around the place called Rob Nixon who was training. He, he decided that accountants were a good profit centre for him and he was training accountants in a lot of sales techniques and like valuing, yeah, valuing your service techniques. So it was a different way of running an accounting firm and I was privileged to be brought into that, that sphere and, and learn that. So when I went back to uh, lead the accounting team, which had grown significantly part of my role was to bring in bring in clients which yeah not every accountant gets that opportunity to do and so again it would be mainly going to local events and it's a small like Bundaberg, I was in Bundaberg so it's a small hefty regional town but it's small in comparison to Brisbane or a major mm. um, regional centre so everyone kind of gets to know everybody and you, you start to get leads and you start having those having the meetings, I suppose, is the first thing is maybe not even bringing the leads into the office but having those conversations as they come in and knowing how to scope work and knowing what questions to ask and lead the, the prospect down a particular way. Mm. Yeah, so I did that. And there was one client that I brought on board who was a, quite a large client um, had multi businesses, uh, really interesting. I find ag businesses or people in the agricultural sector are really innovative, so that can be really interesting to work with. And so I brought him on board, and a lot of the time it was just, you know, you have to sort of fake it a little bit to to can make it. Right. Um, and having that bit of belief in yourself to go after it and mm. and you know he might be saying well can you do this and can you do that it's like yeah we could do that like, <laughs> we'll work it out like yeah. it's it's kind of knowing i know i've got the skill set i can do it we might mm. not be doing it right now but um you know with a little bit of time you can make it happen yeah make it happen and yep. then that's something you can roll out to your other clients as well mm. so it's i suppose it's knowing how to how to take a process and go okay well let's make this process into more of a product and then there's there's this other market there or there's these existing clients that that might suit and we can roll that out and start having conversations with mm. them about this too. Mm. Yeah, cool. And and I love the part uh, you talk about in your notes about how you give yourself a pep talk before a before a meeting yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I'd be like driving to, <laughs> driving to his premises and I'd sit in the car park and I'd be like, okay, like, yes, you can do this. Mm. Yeah, and I actually had a another accountant come along to some of those meetings with me. I was training her up and she'd be like, afterwards we'd be driving back and she's like, Cameo, can we do that? I'm like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Like, <laughs> yeah, awesome. And how has that 
put you instead with your, your current business? And before you answer that, I'm going to go back in time just a little bit more because you said when you were, you didn't say in the notes, you've uh, that when you were younger, you were asked to call people up and demand their money that they hadn't paid from a, a certain business. So I'm trying to just put all the, all the pieces together to see how you've, you've come to where you are now. Yeah, so when I finished university, I... Um I had been working in an accounting firm, but I went over and did the usual UK working holiday stint. Um, and I was doing typical main- accountant yeah. cameo. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was doing, you know, mainly temp roles, which ended up being mostly in credit control. And um, I was pretty shy, and so being put into a credit control role is can be tricky. So you learn pretty quickly about all the all the little tricks that people play to like get over. To delay paying, basically. Yeah, so so I was working for a company that did, was Technicolor. They did um, like colouring on DVDs for like, you know, big movie places. And they had about five clients, but, you know, 50 offices because it might be DreamWorks, but they might be in France or Spain or so they were all clients. And so the first thing was they'd always say, we haven't received the invoices. So, it, and this was early 2000s, so email was there, but email wasn't as easy as it is now. Mm. So, you had to fax the invoices. Uh. So, you'd fax the invoices and you'd note down the day and then like the next two weeks later, you'd call them. You still haven't paid. Be, or we haven't got the invoices. It's like, yeah, I fax them on this date. Go back to, you know, so you'd learn all the, all the tricks. Mm. Um, and then... Um, I was working for a telco company and they had business clients and it's the UK. So, you know, we're used to sort of London accents, which we can understand. But I was having to talk to people in the north of England and I could not understand them. And I'm having to say, could you just slow down? I'm having, <laughs> I'm having troubles with your accent. He's like, I can't help that. I'm like, I know you can't help that, but just bear with me. We'll get through it. So, so yeah, you just have to, you know, communicate and be a bit firm. Mm. And what did it do for your development? I think it just brought, to do that yeah, stuff. It just brought me out of my shell. And okay. I think it um, it uh, helps you to ask for what you want or mm. rather than being on the back foot because I was always mm. a bit of a quiet person before that. So I'm still reasonably quiet, I would consider myself. But um, That's yeah. an interesting one because it's your job to ask for, for that. And so we can we can go along yeah, throughout our lives a lot of the time and, and not have to ask for a lot of things. But that was your job to ask for stuff. Yeah, to get like this list of, of clients that hadn't paid. And sometimes they might have been using a factoring company. So there's already a factoring company that has called them and you're like the last resort call. And I had one. There was another place I was working at, again, doing credit control, and it was a publishing firm. Um, and they ran a legal publication. So we sold a lot of advertising to just people that wanted to sell to lawyers. And a lot of the times they, the people that were buying the advertising would have their marketing agent or whatever contact us. They'd place the ads. And then what would happen was the actual accounts payable section of that company would say, no, we never gave authority for that ad to be run. So there was one one instance where there was a client that was refusing to pay and they're saying we never we never gave authority for this to to and i had to go and find the contract which the marketing the sales guy in our business was saying 
oh, it doesn't exist. We don't know where it is. <laughs> and so I found it and it was, a, it was a really, really good deal that they were, what they were paying for this advertising. I'm like, how the hell did they get this deal? It's so good. Mm. So, of course, I got that through to their accounts payable department and next thing they're like, can we run some more ads? And, oh. and, the, and the sales guy's like, oh, they've got three more to run. Can I call them? I'm like, no, can we just get paid for these <laughs> ones first? Like, so it's not only managing the clients and getting mm. them paid, but if you've got a sales team, because yeah. they're always you know, commission-based, so they're yeah. happy to you know, place more ads. It's managing them as well sometimes and saying, hang on, just hold off contacting mm. the person you were talking to who apparently was not authorized to place these ads mm. and just hold off until we get payment for the first ad and then right. you can like contact them for the second and third. That's hard to say to a commission only person. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if it um, worked or not, but um, yeah. anyway, they were pretty happy when I found the contract because they thought it was good that they could run some more ads. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Incredible. I love it. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think of what other, what other stories we can go through, but uh, I love when you talk about, um, again, in your notes, you talked about uh, how you learned not to be a, a client's bank as part of being in an accounting firm. Yeah. Well, I think that came from um, the firm I was working for in Bundaberg because again, they were using a lot of uh, new age techniques with clients um, like upfront billing and, and all of that, whereas accounting firms traditionally do carry a lot of client debt. You wouldn't think so, but they do. So when we started our business, it, we went in eyes open, like we want to make this, we want to make it easy for clients to pay us. So, you know, we have the online payment, the pay now button on the invoices, automatic reminders, because I don't know if if you're the same as this, but if you don't have a physical invoice, sometimes it's it can be easy to forget to pay things. Like it comes into your inbox and you're like, oh yeah, I've got that there. Hmm. But if you don't action it, you forget to action it mm-hmm. later. So we send out a little reminder the day before an invoice is due saying, just reminding you that this is due tomorrow. Yeah. Just, you know, making it easy for people to pay. And then we just don't have bad debts. So. Mm. It's yeah. a good way to run a business. Yeah, absolutely. And so you found that technique keeps the the bank account healthy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we're just not carrying a lot of like accounts receivable yeah. at any one time. Everybody yeah. pays within their payment deadlines, and mm. yeah, and usually if people are like if something's happened and they do need a little bit more time, that they'll reach out and tell you. And yeah, yeah. It's- and, so you go. Yeah, I was going to say, it also comes back to like working with the right people. Yeah, very true. It's interesting you mentioned accountants carrying debts because is that the advice they'd give to their clients? No, not at all. <laughs> but it's, um, I think particularly like more older style firms, they, they carry a lot of debt. I think uh, newer firms, uh, sort of similar to what I've been set up with in that, they might be doing upfront billing or regular billing hmm. rather than um, billing at the end or just carrying carrying debt or not sending bills out. So hmm. yeah, right. there's some firms that send a bill. Well, one firm I worked for, one partner there, he basically billed twice a year. So December and okay. June he billed. Yeah. You'd hope to get paid for that bill. <laughs> well, hopefully you're paid by 
your December one by June and then you issue yeah. your June one. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow, wow. So what's the, what's the future look like? What's ambitions going forward? What's, uh, what's the plans for Lemonade Beach? Yeah, so the plans would be prob- – we'll probably add another team member in a couple of years' time. I think we're pretty set where we are now. Um, I'm pretty focused on uh, streamlining processes and documenting procedures and making things easy so that when we get to that stage, it's easy to onboard. And then it's just focus more so on business advisory work. So we use a lot of dashboarding tools and forecasting tools and clients are really loving that. So working out how to roll that out to a few more clients and, yeah. and let them experience it because I think it it shifts the conversations that we're having with clients. Okay. You're very humble. You're very humble about all this. It's like, in, and you talked about before about that you don't, you don't, you're not interested in the flash and all that type of thing. You just want to build a, a good business by the sounds. Yeah, I think, well, I think businesses should serve their purpose. And I see, well, you see in, in particularly social media and, and um, people spruiking business advice or courses or whatever this whole go for growth, go for growth and people are running themselves into the ground and we've just had two years of um, a pandemic where people have worked tirelessly and dealt with change after change and their mental health is probably not where it was in 2019 and I think it's good to work out what you want your business to deliver for you and you know for me I don't want to work 60, 70 Mm. hours a week I want to have that that lifestyle balance and if I can make a nice return and a good income and have a nice lifestyle and have time to enjoy it, then to me that's ticking the boxes. Yeah, cool. But what are you going to put on Instagram then? What am I going to put on Instagram? <laughs> Stuff to help clients instead of yeah. it's not all about me. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And that was so interesting to read that part as I was going through it that you just – you know, you didn't. You, did you know that when you first started that you didn't want it to be this big thing? I've always known I don't want to work crazy hours. Yeah, okay. So I think when you know that, you have to accept what comes along with that as well. So you know, I could have, I could work crazy hours, and we could grow the business quicker and do more things. But that's not what I want. Mm. I don't want to spend five years of my life working 100 hours, 80 hours a week. Yeah. I'd rather go slower and um, make sure I'm working with the people I want to work with and making sure that the, the hours that I'm putting in the business are fruitful and productive because I think the other thing is that you, have, you can have a lot of people that are busy but mm. they don't necessarily have any outcomes from their busyness. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a few of them around, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like that badge of honour of, mm. like, I just worked a mm. crazy number of hours today and mm. it's like, well, what did you really do, though? Mm. Yeah. Because you scrolled and you looked at this and you looked at that and what's the outcome? Like, what did you produce? Yeah, no, I love that. And as part of my work as a, as a growth strategist, my I encourage people usually to, if you want to grow, to grow as as fast or as, as you sustainably can as as opposed to try and grow as fast as you can because they often some people will end up with all these people that are cranky like the customers aren't happy and they start churning through them and it can become a pr- false economy pretty quickly too yeah 
Well, it's really hard to keep your quality control when you're growing really fast and particularly in like a knowledge industry, which is what accounting mm-hmm. is. You know, it's it's important for us to maintain our relationships with clients because then they share more with us. Um, but it's important that we get the knowledge right as well. Yeah. And if you're growing too fast, something has to something has to give. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's like to me, growth is really more of like a, a steps up. You know, like you you have to prepare for the growth, and then you have the growth, mm. and then you prepare for the growth, and then mm. you have the growth. So it's resourcing and growing, and then resourcing and growing, because mm. otherwise you're going to end up with quality issues. No, I love that. And because when you take that step up a bit too, you then kind of have to work out how that all works and you'll have some teething issues there yeah as opposed to if you just keep going up you can never it's hard to catch up it is yeah Yeah. and i think that it's just about that investing beforehand and usually once you invest then you make the growth happen because you've now got some other overhead that you're paying yeah so it's um yeah that seems to work cool and so what what advice would you have for someone listening in who's maybe a small business owner themselves you're an accountant that perhaps they don't hear from other accountants? Do you have something unusual or uncommon to share with people from the accounting point of view? Uh, I would just say have spend some time on your cash flow forecasting. I oh, just think it's like okay. a real transformational piece if you can get that right because it usually what happens is when you're – if you're forecasting, particularly if you're thinking you're going to grow and you're going to put on sell X amount of product or sell have X amount of clients come on board, when you do your cash flow forecasting, you will often see where the holes are. So it it generates more questions of okay, well if I'm going to sell X number of product, do I need more people packing, mm. or do I need an external warehouse, or where am I going to store my product, or what's my payment terms on my manufacturer so it just generates more questions and then as you're answering those questions you're getting more knowledge about what resourcing you required what capital you required and you Mm. can actually see your business a lot more clearly okay that's that's really interesting advice haven't had that one before okay something different yeah (laughs) yeah definitely so what would happen if you don't do your cash flow forecast like what what's the what well, happens if I don't? What happens if you don't is that <laughs> you, um, you get a huge contract come to you, which you go, this is an awesome opportunity, I'm going to take it. But you might not realise that you have to pay five people for two months before mm. your first invoice is going to be paid mm. and therefore you end up in a big cash crunch. So, right. yeah. So, like, you know, construction companies are a big an easy example in that particular commercial they can get a huge contract well they've got to pay for materials and they've got to pay for labor and the person that they're working for the the main contractor they submit their invoices well they might take two weeks to get on the approved list but mm. then it might be 30 days before that invoice is approved mm. and that's you know a good chunk of time that they're going to have to cover that cash right okay and, and do you see some aha moments when people do that I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because it makes it easy to see and it's easy then to go, okay, well, you need some kind of funding facility. Mm. This is how much funding you're going to need and then we can go out and, and help them secure that. Yeah, right. Love it. Love it. Thanks for thanks for sharing sharing that with us. Um, we will wrap up soon. It's been awesome to 
to get to know you today, Cameo. But what I'm thinking for our, our last question would be, if, if someone's listening who's about to start their own business themselves, what would, be, what would you say to them? I would say, what would I say to them? Contact an accountant, number one. <laughs> Lemonade Beach. Yeah, but, but just more so accountants will, will help you, step you through all the things you need to do because starting a business, there's a lot of regula- reg- regulation around it, um, you know, ABNs and tax file numbers and just structuring and getting bookkeeping software. So if you, start, if you contact an accountant, they'll be able to help you figure out what to do but the other thing is that accountants often have really good networks as well. So they can help you find a web developer, a brand strategist, a copywriter. Mm-hmm. That's um, a good point. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, utilize their networks as mm-hmm. well rather than you having to, you know, take a chance. Right. All right. Awesome. Well, great to get to know you today, Cameo. If, if someone wanted to get in touch with you or get find Lemonade Beach where's some of the places they should go yeah so lemonadebeach.com is the website and then I think our handle is lemonadebeachau on um, Instagram and you'll find us if you if you search Lemonade Beach you will find us because we are a bit unique Mm. you'll you'll see Cameo on there with uh, sports cars and and the like flashing around driving around (laughs) the Gold Coast on on Instagram (laughs) just joking of course but uh Thank you so much for coming in and spending time today, Cameo. It's been a pleasure to to hear your story and to, to get to know you. Thanks, Jack. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Push Podcast. Show notes can be found at bethepush.com forward slash podcast and clicking on the relevant episode link. Remember to subscribe and I look forward to talking to you again soon.